Welcome to the Center for Justice Social Work podcast. Together, we are here to spread awareness, destigmatize mental health, and to promote educational opportunities. guys, this is Olivia Lozon, and I am back for another episode um, on our podcast. And today I have with me Josh, um, and we're going to do an episode together. Josh, you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Hello, everyone. I am Joshua Kent. I'm also a Master's of Social Work student at the Eastern Washington University. And my passion is trauma and its effects on people uh, with a history of working with children with complex developmental trauma. I um, want to continue to learn about it and try to help others who have had these experiences. This is the first episode of a series about a healing-centered approach, which includes understanding trauma and its impending long-term deficits if there is no recovery or resolve. The idea is to become trauma-informed and utilize tools to support children and adults with experiences of trauma. Psychological First Aid was created to respond to trauma in a way that improves the wellness for people who are emotionally wounded. This is a step-by-step process. The result is to protect them from chronic stress and emotional disturbance. These interventions will help. It is something in which to respond swiftly with care and knowledge. With that, um, healing can begin. So my goal for this podcast and the subsequent episodes is to provide insight, information, and intervention to establish an approach to help address the hardships of trauma uh, that can be created. So we're going to start off with a case study. And I will be covering a fictional case study, yet completely based on actual stories, research, and confirmed symptoms and its manifestations. I do want to take a moment to recognize the number of lives lost to school shootings. This is a difficult subject. It is a sad event and that creates deep, deep wounds. It's it's always difficult to cover such traumatic events, but the impact is severe for both students and faculty, as well as the community. I created this study to address a relevant event that feels like it's occurring more frequently. Okay. So what we're going to do is we are going to kind of jump into the case study and give you all the information that you need. And then we'll kind of do a deep dive into the trauma that we see in the case study and kind of the effects of it and our thoughts on that. Okay. So Jasmine ran through the halls, running past other students and avoiding anyone that looked like a threat. She felt a rush of fear and almost collapsed from her panic. She began to fade just before seeing Mr. Jackson. He was able to grab her hand and bring her inside the classroom to take cover. She joined Jamie and Rachel, two other students who were already cowering inside the classroom. She felt a little bit of a relief finding a safe space, but just a moment later, the three students saw Mr. Jackson be shot multiple times. Rachel tried to jump up to go help Mr. Jackson, but Jamie and Jasmine kept her down and quiet to make sure that none of them were spotted by the gunman. Jamie told them that he had just seen his friend Tom get shot and killed, and he had stepped in some blood on the way and hoped that there was no traces. The three students were able to stay safe until the police came and apprehended the offender. Once the police came, the students were released into the custody of their parents. 
Rachel's dad found her immediately and she immediately started crying, but was able to give the police a, um, account, her accounts of the event. Jasmine's grandparents were able to kind of grab her as well. Um, Jasmine was not able to give any of her account of the event. She couldn't remember anything and had kind of blacked out. Jamie was stuck for the police with the police for a while, um, and he went through an extensive process of providing the report of the incident to the emergency personnel because out of the three of them, he was the one who had the most information and the one who remembered the most. Their teacher, Mr. Jackson, who had helped them all into the classroom, was able to uh, be saved by emergency services and was transported to the hospital. So after this event, um, they all returned to school within two weeks to a month. And Jamie's transition back to school wasn't easy. He spent a lot of time in alternative school due to his in-school behaviors. He has been involved in a lot of risky behaviors at school. He'll do things like deal illegal substances, steal from faculty, verbally threaten others, and sometimes get into physical altercations. He's tried really anything he can to get the attention of the school personnel, all the while kind of creating these toxic behaviors. On the other hand, Rachel spent a lot of her time at home um, her dad tried to kind of bring her out of her shell, but she didn't really eat and really wanted to be alone. She felt a lot of guilt for not doing more to help her friends, um, and that's why it kind of took her that whole month to return to school. During that month, she rarely left her room, staying awake at night and sleeping during the day and eating at most one meal. She had an extreme intrusive thoughts and feelings about the event and just felt hopeless all the time. She continued to grieve and blamed her inability to help. She couldn't move past the fact that she was alive and there was nothing to do that she could have done to help her friends that didn't make it. Jasmine returned to school only a week later, but there was evident change in her demeanor. She began befriending students involved in risky behaviors. She started buying marijuana and later heavier numbing illegal substances. Anything to help her calm down and forget the past. Her grades dropped and her participation was 0%. She stopped going to school altogether. Her grandparents tried to keep her home, but she'd rather spend time on the streets with friends, continuing to use illegal substances so she didn't have to face what she'd experienced. Mr. Jackson spent two months in the hospital recovering, um, but that didn't include recovering from the mental anguish of the event, just his physical, physical um, wounds. He was discharged and eventually returned to school to teach. He was named a hero among the students and faculty for helping so many students. Although he still feels a lot of grief and has a lot of unresolved emotional pain from the event, it's taking him a long time to get back where he was before the event. Students point out to him that he's been spacing out for periods of time. He also like loses focus on his responsibilities, keeps to himself around other people, has erratic compulsive behaviors such as classroom orientation and rules, as well as brief aggressive impulses when irritated by students' behavior. So the first thing I wanna kind of talk about is what are the patterns that we're seeing in all of these different peoples and their reactions to this event? Yeah, um, looking at all the different symptoms and the manifestations of their behaviors based on the events, um, you might be surprised as to the toll and of the trauma and that developments. And within those stories, there's a intersectionality among the types of trauma and how it's going to progress. It's also interesting, too, that all these people experience the same event. Obviously, Mr. Jackson was actually physically injured, but Jasmine, Jamie, and Rachel all had pretty similar experiences, but they're all having these different reactions to the trauma. So that's something that we often see in trauma is that you can experience the same event as someone else, um, but your own like biological development and your neurological development and just like your past experiences can really influence the way that you specifically react to trauma. You might ask why these uh, symptoms like progress like that, and 
I'll tell you why. It is mostly because the environmental factors that the students and the teacher himself have to go through following the event. There are a number of environmental factors that are affecting the progression of these symptoms. And with Jamie, his environment was already started by seeing his parents party all night with his friends, with their friends, and he's left alone. He doesn't have parents to support him there. With uh, Rachel, she has the parents. She has the support, but it's just not enough. There's just too much guilt and blame for maybe not doing enough. As for Jasmine, uh, she has her grandparents. They're really supportive, but she lost her parents, loved ones that um, she's going to miss. And now that she's been a part of another traumatic event, that's just a terrible response to um, all the panic and fear she may have. And as for Mr. Jackson, just not being able to create a safe space for his students could be just cause such emotional disturbance and not everyone can completely heal from that. What we're kind of get, trying to get at here is that each of us have different backgrounds that kind of come into events. So whether we all experience the same thing or not, we can't have the same exact upbringing as, you know, even our siblings. So we're going to have different experiences with our parents, with peers, etc. So like Josh said, Jamie, you know, we kind of wrote him in this case study as not having a great home life. And that impacts him because, you know, his reaction is he's trying to get all of this attention from the other adults in his life you know the other people at the school and all the school personnel because he's not getting that at home whereas rachel she has that support at home so she's not really lashing out at anybody she's kind of doing a more internal blaming process which also kind of goes into the male reaction versus the female reaction in general of trauma and like how we express our emotions um but Jasmine, she's already experienced a traumatic event. You know, she lost her parents in a car crash. It's kind of how we wrote her backstory. And then she experienced a second event. And while she may have been able to recover from that first event, she was a little bit younger. This like compounding of trauma really impacts the way that we react to new things that come up. So, uh, Josh, you want to talk a little bit about, you know, the effects of trauma, you know, the psychological effects, emotional effects, social effects, that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, so trauma affects all parts of our development with psychological developments mental health disorders are the result so you're looking at post-traumatic stress um, chronic depression anxiety not being able to go in your environment without being feared of uh, experiencing other traumatic events as for your emotional you're not going to be able to you lose the ability to cope with just everyday emotions you might become irritable or lash out at other people just for just minute things because you are scared that they are there to hurt you. And as for your social, you're going to start creating toxic relationships or just pull away from society altogether. You might be uh, too scared to leave your home because you might experience something fearful. So these are the kind of developments after the event. And you got to think too, these students are obviously having these experiences and we kind of wrote them to be high school students with, you know, still developing that brain. Uh, but then when we look at Mr. Jackson, there's a whole different impact on the trauma as an adult. And um, one thing that Josh kind of found in his research is that there's really not a lot of supports 
for teachers and other types of faculty when you see these types of traumatic events in the school setting. So not only are we looking at the impact of the kids that these traumatic events are having on our kids, but we're also looking at the impact that it's having on our teachers and our admin offices and those different kinds of people that work in the school that have that feel that they have that responsibility for the kids in their care. And then like Mr. Jackson, he was able to save these three students but there were so many other students that maybe he wasn't able to save and just not being able to feel like he can keep his own students safe and not keep himself safe. So one of the things that Josh kind of had realized is that there's no real supports for him. So Mr. Jackson was able to kind of heal those physical wounds in the hospital, but no one kind of addressed the emotional turmoil he was going through of having lost students and then having to go back to that place that he worked where he just experienced this very aggressive, violent action against him and he has to kind of be the strong one for the students that are there yeah that's a really good point this is a perfect example of an acute um, traumatic experience for mr jackson and in this case there was no recovery or resolve for this event he's going to continue to have the emotional disturbances that are affecting his ability just to be a teacher he can't be that adult and have these students look up to him if he is being verbally aggressive towards them or not talking to them or just not finishing his responsibilities as what he's supposed to do as a teacher. And I feel that he's having a really hard time with this and no one is there to listen to him or just help him. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to like what Josh's whole point of all of this is, is to kind of introduce psychological first aid and just the healing approach. Uh, that we can kind of introduce in these sorts of situations. But Josh, you mentioned, you know, this is an acute experience of trauma. Do you want to kind of talk about how there are different types of trauma and like different types of traumatic events? So what I mentioned about Mr. Jackson, he experienced an acute um, experience. So that's just a one-time event. So along with school shootings, natural disasters, traffic collisions, you can suddenly lose a family member, dog, friend, uh, whatever it may be and um, sexually violent acts, near-death experiences. These are the type of things that are single events, but they are traumatic in every aspect of a person's developments. From that traumatic event, a person's personality are completely changed. So as for that, there's also chronic and complex trauma. So chronic trauma is just a extending period of time that someone is being emotionally disturbed and their safety is uh, broken. They don't feel safe within their environment, so they're constantly scared and their fight or flight or freeze, they're always in that mode. They are losing all the stress hormones to have the ability to cope with themselves. So chronically, they're gonna continue to feel this way and trauma just continuously builds. And like Olivia mentioned earlier, it just compounds and just keeps going and going and going. and the result is a lot of misdevelopments in their neurological and psychological um, issues. So, in, in our example, that would probably be like Jamie. So Jamie has this home life where his parents are alcoholics and he doesn't have that parental support. You know, he's experiencing people who are intoxicated. He doesn't have a safe home life. And then it goes on to, you know, in school, he's not even safe in school because this event happens. 
And that's kind of what we're saying as in terms of like multiple traumatic events that are happening or like an ongoing period of Jamie experiencing his parents being alcoholics of, you know, that's probably been his whole life. So he's kind of dealing with that trauma and then this other thing is being put on top of him. Whereas compound trauma is a little bit different. So compound trauma, I think, is what we would look at when we see Jasmine. And that's when multiple traumatic events happen. Josh, you want to jump into that? Compound or uh, complex trauma. Yes, it's uh, multiple events that a person has experienced. So Jasmine, perfect example. She lost her parents when she was young and had to have that transition to her grandparents' house. And she is looking to her grandparents as to be the parents who are emotionally there and can be supportive. But now that she's experienced a school shooting and her grandparents can't be there emotionally, her development is going to be drastically changed. And you can see that with her befriending students that may be involved in risky behaviors and that progresses into more intense drug usage. You kind of see the effects of trauma in different ways. So we see Jamie kind of looking to the other, like acting out to get the attention of other adults in his life because he's not getting that at home. Whereas Jasmine, where she's already had these previous experiences and kind of has, you know, maybe she had some coping skills from her parents' death that she was able to use. At this point, she's at a she's at a point where she doesn't think those coping skills are working anymore. She's, she's looking to not feel the, those emotions that she was feeling. So she's kind of turning to... Um, the heavier like numbing illegal substances and you know not listening to her grandparents and kind of getting out of that whereas Rachel is so involved in all of her emotions that she's kind of turning very inward so you can kind of see the different reactions of these three people who had basically the same experience at the school in terms of like school shooting and um, kind of their experience of being afraid having to run and then Mr. Jackson kind of saving them and then having to witness Mr. Jackson who was their savior get hurt you can kind of see these different things coming up and I think a lot of times we think of trauma as this you know this one-time event and that would be like the acute trauma which this experience is but we don't think about how trauma is going to affect us for the rest of our lives and you know we kind of addressed trauma immediately like you know the first responders were there they probably addressed everyone's like physical injuries made sure no one needed to go to the hospital but then all these kids are sent home you know they're sent home you know with their parents or guardians and then they have to address the emotions that they felt and when you're in that developmental stage, you don't necessarily know how to process your emotions. You know, we all know we all know a teenager and we all know how fun they're to be around because they have all of these emotions that they don't quite know how to process yet. But even as adults, we have difficulty processing those difficult emotions and there's no supports in place right now that we've kind of seen in um, the research that Josh has done that addresses these events and makes it continuous. So not only maybe there's a school counselor that these people can go to, but it's probably like, you know, if they think about it for like one month and then everyone wants to move past the event and make it so, you know, we're not going back into the past. But if we haven't addressed all of these things that we experienced and we don't kind of put that healing approach like that human-centered approach that we brought up in the beginning first, that's where we're kind of lacking. So that's what the psychological first aid kind of jumps into of like, how do we address these traumatic things as they're happening versus like being very reactive of, you know, two months later, we're like, oh, you're still feeling this? Like, let's stress it now. Psychological first aid kind of puts us in the position to address these things immediately when they happen. Psychological first aid, otherwise um, PFA is really important in this matter. If you can respond quickly and swiftly to these students and teachers involved, 
their ability to cope with the event will be much easier. And with that, the psychological, emotional, and social development can be put back on path, like to where they can be a successful adult. And we talked a little bit about like um, how the brain is like impacted and how that kind of impacts the psychological development, emotional development, social development, etc. But what that really means is that the structure of your brain changes when you're exposed to a traumatic event. So it's not only that we have these maybe physical wounds like Mr. Jackson where he was shot, but like the actual changes that happen in our body because of traumatic events and the way that our brain reacts to them. There's actual structural changes in our brain. Um, Josh brought up, you know, cortisol as being the stress hormone and how that's, you know, released and, um, you know, being stuck in that fight, flight, or freeze modality for a while, being able to un, not being able to find that safe space again, where you kind of come out of that chaos mode and that like, I need to be in this mode so I can get to the next day. That's where people are getting stuck. Looking at psychological first aid and how it's implemented to address trauma and support people who are emotionally disturbed from these events, it is really important to focus on the fight, flight, or freeze because people who are stuck in that moment are stuck if there's no help provided to them. And over time, that fight, flight, or freeze, it just completely depleted um, cortisol levels, which is the stress hormone. And with that, it creates even deeper effects to a person's development. I think I mentioned it earlier, but depression and anxiety is a huge thing that is going to be chronic if not appropriately addressed from the traumatic events. Along with um, more serious events, if a student is experiencing even more traumatic events, it's going to develop into psychotic disorders, personality disorders, bipolar, uh, sometimes schizophrenia and suicidal ideation, which is the most important part is staying away from losing teens to suicide. So Jess, what kind of hope do you think there is for people who have these traumatic experiences or a traumatic past? Yeah, I think there's a lot of hope. Um, there was a moment in my experience working with children and uh, their traumatic past. I learned about a natural healing called brain plasticity. It's a really important aspect to uh, the healing of your brain because through, the, through treatments, of course, and cognitive change, it helps uh, rewire your synaptic connections within your brain. So that's going to affect your neurotransmitters. It's going to help uh, reduce psychological uh, mental health disorders. It's going to help heal those things. And through that, a lot of times this includes identifying toxic behaviors and learning new behaviors and arranging them to, for the better, improving your well-being reducing your depression, anxiety, whatever you may be experiencing from that traumatic event. So this gives me a lot of hope and I want to instill that the brain has the ability to change. It's really important to remember that because that is the motivation that people can use and just focus on because their traumatic event is not them. They can be able to change what a traumatic event has affected their emotionally, um, emotional self. 
And I think it's also important to realize that um, when we do have these traumatic events, our reaction to them as mental health professionals, as first responders, as a community, those can really impact the way a person heals. So if we're able to kind of instill more support systems and um, you know implement more training in psychological first aid so that people who experience these traumatic events can be immediately exposed to these treatment methods where their healing is the most important thing, that's going to help us overall like on a local level on a national level of kind of impacting the rates of mental health issues in the united states and then our ability to kind of help people through their healing process so um one thing that we kind of want to emphasize throughout this is that trauma happens to us more often than we think you know you can be traumatized by a parent's divorce or a really bad breakup or you know a loss of a family member a loss of a pet those different kinds of things it doesn't really matter what the trauma is it what matters is our response to the trauma and how we seek help so we want to emphasize the fact that there are supports out there and there's more things that we want to push for um, in terms of like policy reactions especially to things like school shootings where it's such a hot topic in the united states but uh, i think we're probably going to wrap up this session and kind of dive into next week of you know how to use psychological first aid and kind of how to address these different reactions to trauma Um, anything you want to close out with josh like Livia said there is support out there but there's not enough Um, we are looking to improve that maybe work with policymakers to increase that because there's not enough response to this issue but as she was mentioning we're going to talk about the interventions and how can we help these students um, resolve and heal from these emotional wounds all right thank you so much for joining us this week and join us again um, in our next session where we talk more about um, what you can do to help those who have experienced trauma